God bless you. Please have a seat. We are in a brand new series. Um, it's called The Waiting Room. Uh, we're, we're starting the series today, so I'm grateful that you're here. But this series is going to, I think, impact a great deal of us because many of us are in a situation where times are difficult, where circumstances are hard, where the te- tears flow and the heart is heavy. And so I pray that this, this would be a gift uh, for all of you. 2012 was a really a rough year for me. Have you ever had one of those rough years? Yeah, yeah I've had like rough decades. But the, the, um, I, 2012 was in particular a rough year. Uh, I was in a depression from uh, January all the way to September. And God got me um, great, graciously, he got me out of the depression just in time for us to lose absolutely everything. The place where we lived, the car that we drove, the clothes that we wore. Sandy had hit, and we lost everything. And, uh, and that led to eight months of hopping around from house to place to being homeless for the third time. I was telling God he's making this a bad habit. Um, and... Um, and it was a rough, rough year. It was a rough year that lasted longer than a year, you understand. But many of us, many of us have had moments like that. I'm not the only one who's suffered through something. I'm not the only one who's gone. If I took that microphone and I passed it to every person in this place, I bet each and every one of us would be able to share our story of how The year was rough. Or maybe it was a day that changed your life. Or or, or maybe it was a season of life. It wasn't a year or a day or a month. It was your adolescence. It was that 25 years in marriage. It It was something profound. Some of us would speak about what it felt like. Like, what does it feel like to walk out of life as we know it? To walk through that door and not be able to walk through the door of life the way we think it ought to be. We're calling that place in this series, we're calling it the waiting room. That place where you walk out of where life used to be, you know, and before you get to where life you think ought to be, that place is the waiting room. And we're going to answer this one question. In the Recovery House of Worship, which, by the way, I am so grateful that you guys are all here. If you're new or here for the first time, we're super uber grateful that you're here. We love you. We create this service in large part because we expect you to be coming. And so we're grateful that you're here if you've been here for a long time. But when we do series, we don't do series like other people do series. What we do is we, we try to take one topic 
And we try to wrestle with that topic to the ground until it can really get deeper inside our souls. So the question that we're going to try to answer for the next five weeks, it's a profound question. It's a waiting room question. And the question is this. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's nothing left for you to do? You've cried all you're going to cry. You've fought all you're going to fight. You've tried all you can do. What do you do when life finds you in the waiting room? What do you do? So for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking time Now, listen to me. Listen to me. You do not want to miss one week in this series. And I got news for you. You're going to listen to this sermon, and you're going to say, as you sit here today, you're going to go, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. That's God's way of saying, oh, you should call so-and-so and invite them for next week. Because every week you're going to feel like that. This is, listen, this is not a series for Christians. And it's not a series for non-Christians. This is a series for all of us. Because all of us are going to find ourselves in the season where we don't know what to do, where we've tried everything, where we've exhausted all options, where the problems are unsolvable, the circumstances are insurmountable. There is nothing left that we could know to do to change the circumstances in our life. What do we do? Well, when we're in the waiting room, two questions, and I've been doing counseling for a long time. I've been doing, oh my goodness. I've been doing counseling for almost 20 years. Almost 20 years I've been counseling people. And the two questions that most pop up when we're in the waiting room place, the first question is, why? Why is this happening to me? Now, if you're anything like me, you grew up in a household where there was a God who was going to punish you, and it didn't matter if the punishment was totally disconnected from the actual sin. So, 15 years ago, you you sinned in this way, and then 15 years later, your car breaks down. And it's like, oh, I know why. Now, I know why the car broke down now, because God is paying you back. We ask the questions why. The problem is the answers that we come up with for the question why are oftentimes not rooted in God's glory and God's greatness. They're rooted in our guilt and our shame, and they never satisfy. Another question that we ask is, God Where are you? Why is this happening to me? And God, where are you? This one is the toughest one. Like why, there's really never a good answer, right? There's never an emotionally satisfying answer. Like, could you imagine if God came down and he said, well, the reason that I let your, your child die is because, and then he gave you the explanation. 
that would not satisfy the circumstance. And like why, God, where are you? Sometimes that's not satisfying either. Because it doesn't matter. Sometimes we find ourselves in this place asking these questions with answers that don't satisfy and wondering, how are we going to get through this? Here's, the, here's one thing, and I'm, we're going to come back to this in the end, but I need to tell you up front. The, the question of where is God, here's, listen, don't let God's apparent silence make you believe in his absence. Don't let God's apparent silence lead you to believe that God is absent. God is with us in the waiting room. What do we do when there's nothing we can do? Since God knows that all of us are going to experience this waiting room experience, since God knows that every one of us are going to go through times, this, uh, what, the, what they used to call the dark night of the soul, that doesn't just last one night, by the way. Since God knows that every one of us are going to go through that, he put in his word over and over problems that never got fixed. People that suffered that never saw the answer to their suffering. Because I love the Bible. Let me tell you something. If, you know how like, I used to think that the Bible was like all man-made and, and it was all like, you know, uh, uh, manipulated and, 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 and warped so that by the time you get to, uh, by the time you get to your Bible right here, it's all been manipulated and it's all scoured clean and that's why the Bible. Let me tell you something. If we were manipulating the Bible, we'd do a better job. Because what God puts on his word is absolutely... Let me tell you, every story would end with a happy ending. If, if we were writing the Bible, every hero would end with a damsel. If we were writing the Bible, every, every ending would make you go, yes! But people... People didn't write the Bible in that way. People were inspired by God to write it. And he wrote down the good and the ugly. Wrote down what neatly fits together because it happened. And when it doesn't fit together because that's how it happened. We're going to look at the life of a man traditionally, uh, traditionally known for writing this one book. He's a man who desperately called out to a people. He was a prophet, you know. And he said, guys, God is not pleased with how we're behaving. God is not pleased with our interaction with him. What we've done is we've, we've played the whore. We've gone to other gods and looked to them for comfort and peace and joy. And we've left God. And 
And he did that over and over. And he says, guys, I think God is going to correct us. If we don't self-correct here, God is going to correct us. He did that for his entire life. His name was Jeremiah. And he's known as the weeping prophet. What a title. The weeping prophet spoke about brokenhearted things that would happen. And then they happened. Everything that he was afraid of. In 586 BC, the Babylonian army led by Nebuchadnezzar came into town. And after a long time, it was a siege that lasted over two years, raped women, murdered men, and took children to be slaves. It was an awful time. And it's in that moment where Jeremiah sits on a garbage heap looking at what was and looking at what he thinks ought to be and is in that waiting room and goes, I don't even know how to deal with this. Listen to me. If you've ever been in a place where you've been so wounded, where you've been so hurt, and you just, you just want to yell at God, let, let me tell you something. Lamentations is your permission slip. Jeremiah writes the lament and he writes prayers in there that we don't even dare to pray. He writes his lament. He writes his sorrow. He goes, God, this thing shouldn't be like this. And so he gives this comprehensive feel. The book of Lamentations is an incredible book. It has about five chapters, about, has five chapters in it. And what he does is he writes it in this acrostic. He uses every letter in the because he wants to give full vent to his woundedness. He wants to express fully the depth of the sorrow. Have you ever been there? That there's just how can I express the depth of the darkness that I am in? How can I express how painful this all feels? Listen to me. He expresses it in this incredible way. He takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and every chapter. With every letter, he does every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Second chapter, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet to proclaim, to pray, to pour out his brokenness to a God who's there. And it's at that moment that he writes half of his book. You should read it. It is a heartbreaker of a book. And he gets to this section. And then, by the way, after this section, he goes back to more heartache and heartbreak. This is an extra strength prayer. This is not a pretty prayer. This is not a glossy prayer. This is a unedited, filled with pain and pathos prayer. And so as we read this together, I want you to know that you are not the only one who has suffered. That God has placed, and I, by the way, I could have gone to the Old Testament for this. I could have gone to the New Testament for this. Every single book of the Bible I could go to and find pain like this. And what do we do? 
when we don't know what to do, when there's nothing left. So it's our tradition in our church to stand at the reading of God's word. We're going to read this together. I want you to read this. Listen to me. I want you to read this in a full voice. In a full voice. Read it out to God. Let it be your prayer. One, two, three. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, my soul's downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So he finds himself in this lament, in this waiting room. And he writes out pain after pain after pain after pain. And in the very middle of it, at the very middle of the book, there's this, I'm telling you, the entire book is like a diary of a depressed person. The entire book. And there's this little glimpse that if you, if you read fast enough, you miss it. There's this little glimpse. And he goes this. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Listen to me. The, the terrible thing about what Jeremiah and what all of his people are going through. In Jeremiah's case, what he's going through is not his fault. And some of you are going through pain. It's just not your fault. The guy who promised you forever didn't deliver 10 years. And now you thought that your one marriage was going to be the marriage and now you're looking at life starting over again, and you're not as young as you used to be, and you're wondering what's happened, it's not your fault. The man walks into your room, you're a little girl, and then he closes it, and he might have been an uncle or a father or a brother or a friend of the family, cousin, a sister or a brother. They walk in the room, and they lock the door, and they say, shh. Horrible things happen. Terrible things happen. It's not your fault. And Jeremiah can't forget. He can't forget the pain. He goes, I remember. It comes up to my mind when in moments that I feel peace, it rushes back into my memory. In moments where I'm relaxed, it reminds me, it jolts me out of my comfort. I remember my affliction. For Jeremiah, it wasn't his fault, but there's another group of people here. Because remember, Jeremiah is just a part a smaller part of a greater whole. It's God's people. 
and this is their fault. Because sometimes we find ourselves in pain that we create for ourselves, don't we? Sometimes, and sometimes it's a mixture of the two, right? What happened to you as a little girl is not your fault, but the 50 bad relationships that you put yourself after that is, <laughs> right? And for some of, the, you know, some of us, that's funny. For some of us, not so much, right? Because we're in it right now. So here's this group of people, and it's all their fault. Jeremiah, God sent the prophet Jeremiah. God told him he would do this. God didn't send Jeremiah to, to, to warn them for a day or a week or a month or a year, but for decades. Jeremiah is the most unsuccessful pastor I've ever read about. Nobody came to Christ. Nobody reading his books. Nobody coming around to listen to his sermons. All he got was beatings. And then he got the consequence of everybody else. All of them, God had sent a messenger. All of them, God had sent a prophet. And none of them turned around. And none of them turned to God. And now the consequences of their sins are upon them. And they can't forget. They remember. They remember the agony. The gall. The wormwood. And he, he says it again. He says, I will... I well remember them. I remember them. I well remember them. They're in HD in my mind. And as a result, my soul is downcast within me. You see, when many times when we find ourselves in the waiting room, we can't, we can't help but rehearse the suffering, and the pain in our life. And that's not even something we can help sometimes. Sometimes it's just there over and over and over again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I talking alone here? Like, I mean, is it right? You just can't help but bring it up over and over and over again. And you're here in the waiting room. And because that's what you do. When you're in the waiting room, that's what you do. See, when we answer the question, what do we do when we don't know what to do? You know what people do? They do crazy things. You know what some people do? They live in the past. They remember. You almost want to shake them. You almost want to say, I know that was a devastating moment, and I know he should have been faithful to you, but it was, it was 22 years ago. And... And, and we need to run to the Lord with this. Because time doesn't heal all wounds, you understand. Time doesn't heal all wounds. God will eventually heal all wounds. And some wounds won't get healed until we see him in glory. Some of us, hey, listen, let me just talk about me. I will pastor, I will lead with a limp for the rest of my life. There are some scars so deep that the Lord has assured me 
that they will stay with me till I see him face to face. Not that God is not strong enough to deliver me. Goes back to the why. Because he wills it for his glory in the end. I remember. You know what else people do? Not only do they rehash in their mind, but they medicate. That's the way. That's the way to get. You know what? The way to have a reasonable waiting room experience is to medicate. I don't know how you medicate. I don't know if medication for you is at the bottom of a bottle or at the opening up of a Haagen-Dazs box. I don't know. I don't know if medicating for you is purchasing clothes or pursuing lovers. I don't know what medicating is for you. But that's what we do. Because you know what? The pain is too great. The sorrow is too much. We don't want to deal with it. We'd rather pretend we're somewhere else. So we click on the screen so that our loneliness could be dissipated. We flirt with the lover so that we could pretend like we're desirable and they'll give us that desirability. We go to the chemical, liquid or solid. We try to medicate that which God has us to address. And if we stay in just remembering, and if we stay in just, listen to me, in medicating, We're going to suffer more than we need to in this room. And we're never going to get to the solution. You know, another thing that we do, I was uh, just recently, I, I had to take some blood work. And, and I saw an illustration of what the rest, what we do. Is we, we leave. There was a guy, we were all waiting for blood work. And he, you know, had other appointments. And so did everybody else. I mean, you know, it's, Right. And he goes to the, to the nurse or whatever, the person who's doing the blood work, and uh, he says, he says, this is madness. I've been waiting here, and he tells him the time that he's been waiting there. And he goes, listen, if I don't get called in 15 minutes, I'm going to leave. And I felt like that nurse's response was exactly like God's response. She goes, okay. Because when you're in this waiting room, there's something to be learned. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Do you medicate? Do you rehash? Do you leave? Let me submit to you that those three, perhaps you've done them in the past, they don't work. Jeremiah goes through this remembering, but and then he turns a corner, and it's only for like a minute, and then he goes back into his depression, but it's amazing. In verse 20, he says, I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me, yet this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's like, it's like the first time he's getting positive in this entire book. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet there is something that also I remember. There is something else that I also remember. Listen to me. Listen to me. And, and some of you are going to need to write this next phrase down. It's not going to be on the screen. It's just for you right now. I need you to write it down. 
Don't ever forget in the dark what God taught you in the light. Don't ever forget in the dark what God taught you in the light. Don't ever forget in the waiting room what God taught you in the life before the waiting room. Don't forget that. That's key if you're going to be able to survive. If you want to know, what do I do? What do I do when I don't know what to do? One of the things you can do is don't forget in the dark what God taught you in the light. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Now this, this is breathtaking. Okay, Jeremiah has witnessed murder and rape. Jeremiah has had the last few days be worse day than your last few days. It is awful. In the end, Jeremiah will eventually be shipped off to Egypt to spend the rest of his days. He will die without ever seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But he says, even while I'm in the waiting room, even while I'm waiting here, even while I wait... Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Okay, so the big idea for today is this. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait for him. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait for him. Let's look at the first one. It says, don't forget. Yet this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Listen. Wherever God is, or whatever God is doing, or whatever reason you're going through, whatever you're going through, let me tell you what the reasons are not. The reasons are not, if you're in Christ, the reasons are not that he hates you and he wants to punish you. That can't be the reason. Do you know why? Because he already punished your sin in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then your sin has already been dealt with. Listen, don't forget that. I can endure a lot of things in life so long as I know what they are. Why, or rather why, I'm, doing, I'm dealing with them. And you can know at least this much. God is not angry with you. He's not apathetic to your circumstances. God is not uh, trying to pay you back. God is not absent. Jeremiah remembers what God taught him in the light. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. I love this. This is such a famous verse. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Now listen to me. This is not being said on the other side of pain. You know, this is not like, oh, the divorce happened and you felt the great betrayal and you were in the waiting room. But look, Prince Charming came. And he's like, oh my gosh, everything that you ever dreamed of. And then at the end of that, you're at the end of the honeymoon week and you go, your love never fails. Your mercies are new every morning. And you go, yeah, I bet they are, right? Because you just got Mr. Right. And so, no, no, no. But I'm talking about in the waiting room, Jeremiah has not forgotten that God remembers. God is not forgetting you when you're in the waiting room. Don't forget that God remembers, so I'll wait for him. And this you have to download. You have to get this into your heart. I say to myself, I love this. I say, somebody say, I say, to myself. I say to myself. Listen, since you're already, listen to me, since you're already talking to yourself, <laughs> and don't act like you don't, since you're already talking to yourself, why not choose your words carefully? I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. This blows me away. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Don't forget, God remembers you. Therefore, so, I will wait for him. That's what we do in the waiting room. Now, this is so deep. We're, gonna, we're just going to take a few minutes on this. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Now, there's two things that Jeremiah is doing here that we really have to get into our hearts. Number one, he's recalibrating recal- his joy. See, one of the reasons why we feel like we want to commit suicide when the guy leaves is because the guy was our God. And if the guy was our God, when he left, God left. When he left, joy left. When he left, all of happiness in life left. The reason, now, you know, I'm not going to... The reason we wanted to kill ourselves when we lost a job is because the money was our God or the position of the prestige was our God. And when that left, all joy left. What Jeremiah is doing is he's recalibrating his joy. He's going, the Lord is my portion. The job is not my portion. The marriage is not my portion. I love my marriage. Marriage is not my portion. I love my kids. My kids are not my portion. I love this church. It's not my portion. You're not my portion. Sometimes I have to say that out loud. You're not my portion. God is my portion. I was talking to a woman not long ago. Her son had been using for over, I want to say over a decade, maybe over two decades. Uh, They don't live in the city. They live outside of the city. It was a miracle the way I met her husband. God made it so. So they got me on the phone because I'm like the recovery pastor, and so I'm, everybody knows I have all the answers. And so, well, you, 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 why was that funny? Do I not have all the... So I'm on the phone, 
And I'm telling her, and I'm telling her some of the things that I've told some of you. You know, I said, you know, and, and I tell her, hey, listen, you got to, you know. And I tell her some of the things that seem real, real cruel, but are absolutely, yeah, you got to lock, change the locks. You got to let them face the consequences of their actions. You got to not stop giving them money. You know, just the basic stuff that we know that if we, you know, you, you can't enable them. You know, we have phrases like this. And so I'm spelling it out for her. And then it, it turns out that her son is going to go to a detox that I'm going to send him to. It's fantastic, right? It's great. I'm talking to her. And she says, I don't, I don't even want to get my hopes up. I, I don't want to, and we even have language for this, right? Don't have any expectations. And I think that that's such unbiblical language. Like, I, I don't want to have any desires because then my heart will be broken if those desires don't come through. I don't want to have any expectations because then my heart, then I'll be hurt if the expectations don't happen. And I had to pause, and she was a hurt mom, so I'm, I, I'm trying to be sensitive I'm going, no, that's, that, what are you doing? That, okay, let's, let's have a gospel moment. Let's, let's talk about the gospel 101. The problem isn't your expectations. The problem isn't your hopes. The problem is that you have wrong expectations and you've put your hopes on wrong things. You see, my hope is not that the marriage will get fixed. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my hope. My, the hope is not that the kid gets clean and that he finally lives a productive life. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my hope. The hope is that I'll be rid of this sexual desire that, oh, that is, is flat out its sin. That's not the hope. The Lord is my hope. The Lord is my portion. Since you're going to talk to yourself, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to be reminded that God is your treasure because when all other treasures go, God is still there. You need to be reminded. You need to preach to yourself. Oh, my soul, the Lord is my portion. And since the Lord is my treasure, and since the Lord is my hope, and since the Lord, not, not if the, not, not if the relationship survives, not if the finances come in, not if the business works out, not if my sexuality changes or stays the same, not if anything, the Lord is my portion. And since that's true, I will wait on him. Now, listen to me. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. Waiting on God is the most aggressive thing you'll ever do. Waiting is patiently pursuing. That's what waiting on God is. It's patiently pursuing. Oh, but I've been praying for two weeks. Okay, well, you've been pursuing, but you haven't patiently. But I've been praying for two years. You have more patience, but you need to pursue with even more patience. But it's been 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. We can do this till 100 years, right? Listen to me. Waiting on God is saying, God, the goal isn't to get what I'm praying for you about. The goal is to get you. 
The goal is to love and know you. The goal is to realize that you're my treasure. You're my hope. You're my happy ending. You're my happy, happily ever after. Waiting is patiently pursuing God. Listen to me. So what do you do? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? I want you to don't forget God remembers. So I'll wait for him. For the rest of this week, what I want you to do is just sort of, and some of you, boy, this is not theory for some of you. For some of you, you're going through this time right now. Isn't it true? And by the way, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads, and pray with me. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to do that. I know that some of you are stubborn and you're like, I ain't going to pray. I ain't going to close my eyes. I ain't going to, you know, I get it. I get it. Listen, I, I've sat in that chair too. I get it. I get it. I get it. Listen, it's, it's a holy moment. It's a holy moment. Pray for the person next to you if you don't feel like praying for yourself. I bet you the person next to you wouldn't mind your prayers. And so listen. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait for him. So when we're, now this is not the only thing that we do. We're going to be answering this question for five more weeks, so we're going to learn a little bit more. If you leave today and you go, but I feel like there's so many other questions that are unanswered. Oh, what about this circumstances? Five weeks. So keep coming back. Keep coming back. We're going to learn some more. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait for him. So this entire week, what I want you to do is just say to yourself, it's this last verse, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. I'm not waiting for you to get your act together. Husband, if you get your act together, that'll be wonderful, but you're not my portion. I'm going to wait for him. The Lord is my portion. You're not my portion. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I'm not going to wait for you to get your act together. I'll wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have these demons that I fight, this depression that I fight, this I'm not going to wait for the depression to go away, for these demons to stop. I'm going to wait for him. Just preach that to yourself. Let me tell you why. Because God is with you, and God has not forgotten you. And some of you, you just need to hear that, that God is with you, and he's not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you in your marriage. He's not forgotten you in your physical situation. He hasn't forgotten Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait for him. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Everybody, close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to do Now, you pray, I'll speak, but you pray. I know that some of you here right now, this is not theory. I know that some of you here right now, this is not just another Sunday. Right now, you're going through the waiting room. You're experiencing suffering. You're experiencing heartache. You're experiencing pain. Your heart is broken. And you're thinking to yourself, how am I ever going to get through this time? How am I ever going to survive this moment? How am I ever going to get through this heartache? I want you to know that God hasn't forgotten you. Don't forget God remembers you. 
Don't forget, God is with you. Don't forget, God is not absent. He's not angry. He's not... He's with you, and he's for you. And so, I want you to just receive that. I want you to preach that to yourself. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. But I've been waiting for so long, God. You tell him. You share with him your suffering. You share with him your pain. But don't forget, God remembers. So I'll wait for him. Now, look at me. Sometimes in the middle of your prayers, you're going to discover that Jesus is in the waiting room with you. And he's suffering with you. You know how we know? Because there was a waiting room that he experienced. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth and he died for your sins, that was the longest waiting room. It was God who was perfect. And he enters into all of our waiting rooms into your bad habits, into your terrible circumstances, into your horrible situations. And he doesn't just say, listen to me, he doesn't just say, try harder, do better, be stronger. He says, you're in the waiting room. You mind if I sit with you? Don't forget. God remembers. So I'll wait for him. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you that they're here and that you have not abandoned us. You have not left us. Lord, would you impress that deeper upon the souls of everyone here? Would you remind us, O oh God, that even in Jeremiah's circumstances, you were with him. That you were his portion. And so that he'll wait for you. Help us to patiently pursue you, O oh God. Help us to not forget in the dark what you taught us in the light. And above all, Lord, help us to not forget that you remember and that we'll wait for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.